Hey, you're listening to Be Your Best with Phil Haugen, where we explain the methods that help bridge the language barrier between horse and rider. Our goal with each episode is to provide you with the training philosophies that will help you to be your best every day. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me for this week's episode of Be Your Best Horsemanship. This week, I'm really pumped about this interview because I've got Pace Freed on this week. Pace is the owner and operator of two of the number one apps in our Western industry, X-Factor Team Roping and X-Factor Barrel Racing. And as most of you know, those are really two of the disciplines that, that my training career has kind of always gravitated me towards and so I have a a tremendous amount of interest in what Pace is doing and and uh, we're going to talk a lot about his background and how he got started and and then just the involvement of our industry and and specifically in those two events so Pace thanks a lot for joining us this morning. Yeah thank you Phil I appreciate it. So Pace first off if you would just just kind of go back and tell our listeners a little of your background and how, you know, your the lifestyle you grew up in kind of evolved into what you're doing now. Sure. Uh, so grew up in uh, Southeast Idaho, spent the winters in Moab, Nevada, just outside of Las Vegas and Logandale. And my parents uh, produced team ropings, a lot of like USTRC jackpots and just a lot of roping. So I kind of grew up around the the team roping side of it pretty heavily, you know, from breaking in steers to putting on ropings. And I kind of got to see every aspect. I mean, I, I worked every job at the ropings, started pulling off ropes for a few years and eventually got upgraded to running the alley to running the gate and flagging and office and announcing. And I kind of got a, I got a little bit of everything. And, uh, and obviously while I was doing all this, I was, you know, kind of, fell in love or like started to really appreciate the sport of team roping and uh so I, i've rodeoed a little bit and um that's kind of been something i was pretty passionate about and still feel pretty passionate about it as far as like competing and and just trying to get better as, as in the roping side of it so um you know as i as i kind of like got away from that uh coming to like texas and just different spots and just trying to figure out how to you know, how to be successful in the industry. And I, I really, honestly, that's, that's what kind of got me is I just kind of hit a crossroads with my roping and it just felt like, man, this is a, this is a hard way to, to make it all work. And, and I didn't really understand what it took to be successful. So just kind of started doing some research and thought, man, what, what if we tried something? Uh, there were some websites out there like speed, you know, speed roping and total team roping were going, but I just kind of felt like there was something else there. And uh, so just like for me and what I needed to get out of the roping side of it. So basically that's where X Factor started is I was just trying to figure out what it took to, to, to go from, you know, basically any level of roping and, and be successful. And it's just kind of grown from that, that standpoint, you know, we've, we've tried to, to, to cover it as many, uh, many different aspects of roping and the horsemanship side of it. And as well as doing the podcasts and trying to figure out like the mental side of it and what, what makes guys kind of tick and how they work and how they, they view it. And uh, I just kind of realized how different everyone is and 
and uh, it's been pretty unique to to kind of go down this this path. So that's that's kind of the the you know what happened with it and where the ideas kind of come from. And so tell everybody now, pay where are you located now? Uh, I live in Morgan Mill, Texas, so um, just outside of Stephenville. Yeah, so so you're you're located right in the heart of it. Yeah, right, right in the middle of it. Um, all the if you want to compete, uh, it's pretty easy to get get to compete with the best guys in the world. Or, you know, for us, if we want to do video shoots and stuff like that, it just seems like a huge portion of the professional guys are located in this area. You know, in the team open world, I think that's definitely where you're located is is an example of how iron sharpens iron not not only as a competitor but also just like with what you're doing in the western industry you figured out that taking bits and pieces from you know one person and another and making it your own program how it how it can benefit people you know let's talk a little bit about the evolution of that sport that event because you've kind of lived that evolution, just like you were talking about with your family where you started out putting on ropings and, you know, just talk a little bit about your experience of how you've seen it evolve and what, you know, maybe a thing or two that's made some of the biggest changes. Well, I think like to start that there, there's something, a kind of a quote or a story I heard and it just really hit home for me, but it was, it was a movement coach and he was talking about coaching fighters and, uh, he talked about two guys can go to the top of the mountain and fight every single day and just live on the top of this mountain for 10 years. And when they come back down off the mountain, the other fighters that have been training with other people will be much further along. And so I think that's what I've kind of realized is this has kind of all happened is how much competing is important um, and how that's kind of changed it. But guys that practice with each other, watch and really study other guys. And I think that's what's kind of sparked the, uh, that top tier of guys is they've, they've got a lot of humility as far as they, they want to learn. And so I think that aspect makes it where team roping is, it grows, but it also, uh, it evolves pretty fast. And, and just from like my experience with it, I mean, I just remember kind of starting out roping and the ropes were mostly three strand ropes and, you ran in close, you kind of set the steers on the end of it and, uh, and, and your healer would kind of get them on that. They'd kind of be a little bit more inside and rope them on a second and third jump. And I think as things have changed, you start to figure out like angles and how headers can open steers up faster, how to run to the cow more, how to like Caleb triggers is probably the best example of this, but how to reach and uh, makes steers so easy to heal too and I think he's been been able to do that the last few years um, really really well and I think that's what's separated him and so you start to see guys that can do different things like reach like Caleb can and then handle steers great as well and I think that's just from competing that's from understanding how a horse works and it it just takes time and experience and and knowledge and I think that's uh, that's kind of what we're starting to see at this point is uh, generations of knowledge being able to be applied by younger guys and they can try theories out and kind of work their way through it and uh, it just makes it to where uh, it seems like a lot of people have figured out how to speed the run up control their horses and and be really consistent uh, 
I think that's that's kind of been the biggest thing you've that I've seen so far. I guess that you know to summarize what I've seen with Ropen over the last 15, 16 years. Yeah, you know, I'm 58 years old, and of course, I I grew up in the era of not a lot of technology, right? So like even like today, me doing a Zoom call on a computer, you know, I get <laughs> up this morning, you know, hoping I can get the meeting open. And, and whereas the younger generation, it's second nature to them. They don't know any different. And that's kind of how I look at this younger generation of ropers. They don't know any different. You know, I, you and I had this conversation before, but I remember back in the early 90s sitting on the shoot at Gillette, Wyoming, watching Jake and Clay make a run. And at that time, they were, you know, totally dominant. And and I remember thinking to myself, you can't do it any faster than that. And literally today, in that same situation, the teams are going to be two seconds faster than that. And, but they just don't know any different. Yeah. I mean, I think just the styles and everything have changed so much. Like healers yeah. uh, get around the turn so much better and rope steers on the first jump where um, a long time ago, they, you know, probably 15 years ago, they were inside and tried to rope them on the second and third jump. And so I think you can say roughly about a half a second per hop or maybe a little bit less than that. But, you know, that's there's there's almost a full second. Healers are shaving off in the run. And then you think about headers. Um, I mean, Jake Barnes, obviously, well, he's probably one of the best headers of all time or he is the be- one of the best of all time. But no, absolutely. The, the ability to kind of throw a coil and two coils and, and do it four, five, six times in a row now, uh, it seems like that's just, if you're going to be a high-level header, you have to be able to do that. Um, and you've got to be able to, to pull that out on any, any given day of jackpotting, or, or you have to draw great and score great, uh, one or the other. That's, that's about the only way to win now, I think, at, at the open level. Yeah. Well, and even, and I should have explained that little bit better what I was saying is just like with Jake and Clay at that time the way they rope today that runs two seconds faster you know those guys and I'm sure you've had them on but those guys would I'm sure would talk about that same evolvement of how they set runs up different and we just like you said angles just setting yourself up to be quicker and it's uh now, sometimes there now there are times when I watch somebody be like, you know, you know whether when they're three six at Fort Worth or Denver or whatever. My question to you is, how can it get much quicker than that? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know where it goes as far as like speed, but I think um, I think what happens is the the amount of people that can go that fast, and so it kind of makes it really it's kind of made a weird spot in team roping where it's not that good to watch at some places like you'd think because like Livingston Montana is a good example um the barriers were pretty long over there but the steers are good the arena is set up good and it gets really fast but they'll have 110 teams and 4-4 might win 12th hole but there might be 60 misses or 70 misses so I don't know about I, I I think there'll be some guys like Dustin and that are you know there might be some guys that be able to duplicate that but uh there's some guys that can really reach 
real fast. And I think that that if it got any if it got faster or more consistent, that's kind of what you'd see. But as of right now, I think it's kind of a a spot where it's going to be more guys that can just figure it out and go fast. I don't think it gets uh, a ton quicker as far as like what the fastest time is. Right. Uh, but I think when you get a hundred guys going at them pretty hard, you just expect that you just have to make that kind of that Hail Mary type of run. So I think the percentages will still stay pretty low for a lot of, you know, the catch percentages, but the, the the ability to connect like how many teams can make that run will go up but that's i don't know i could be completely wrong with this no i i think you're right i think the speed's going to be there i think the consistency will get better over time because i do think there'll be a place in there where they figure some things out with their horses and there is still a place in there where you kind of got to rope what you draw and I think the consistency will get better. I think it's going to be at the highest level. It's going to stay wicked fast, no doubt. Talk a little bit about like the World Series formats and the team roping up through there and, and how that's evolved with, with programs like yours, with apps like yours that provide a lot of knowledge, a lot of training, a lot of teaching. Talk a little bit about the involvement of it over the past decade yeah so i think phil on this one you might be able to help me out with this a little bit but there's kind of a theory i've been putting together a little bit uh, on being able to like improve or i kind of thought about this the other day how does my heading improve like when when do i add things to it and and what i noticed for me is if i go rope it doesn't matter how many steers if i'm roping 25 to 50 steers in a day and um, that day, I very rarely like, I kind of feel some things and have some things like a, like come up in my practice, but I really at least solve them that night when I'm thinking about it. And then I kind of apply it the next day. And then when I see certain things happen, so I think like to be creative or to improve, there has to be like the more you can see and kind of be exposed to and start kind of just testing things out and see if it works for you. I think that's how you you really improve, right? It's not just going and grinding it out in the practice pen. It's kind of trying to find knowledge or ways to apply things. And and I don't know, does it feel that way? Like I, I think this is where like the websites have came in handy, and this is where like the amount of knowledge. This is where you get in return on your investment, right? When you you spend money to 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 buy a membership, and then you watch videos, and you kind of be able to apply that, but you don't know exactly how it's going to fit into your rope and so it's kind of like I kind of you kind of got to filter through a lot of a lot of theories to to kind of see what applies to you but I don't know does it feel that way like as far as like finding you know ways to improve your horsemanship have you have you felt that way or what do you think about that yeah I tell you what I think you hit the nail on the head there I think if you're going to change because just like in a run that that's a physical change. That's something you're doing differently with your body or differently with your approach and preparation. I think the change has to come mental first. I know in it, just like with horsemanship, it's all about acquiring knowledge and then applying it. And, and the knowledge is worthless without the application. 
but you can't have the application without the knowledge. And so for me, of course, I'm just like you were saying, I'm always thinking about how to get better. Just like today, when I swing the leg over, I'm always thinking about how I can get better and what I can do, small changes, small tweaks, you know, small adjustments. And, you know, when I, when we do that, I think it has to come mentally first and then, then physically later, you know, then the apply it. And, and so I think it's probably just like what you're saying with the rope and, you know, you, you got to make that change or that adjustment mentally first and then, then physically go apply it. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I mean, I, I think if you can see it in your mind and, and I don't know if this is just me because I'm more of a visual learner, but if I can see it in my mind, I can then usually apply it pretty fast. And then, and then it's just however long it takes to make it muscle memory, which that can be, I mean, it can be almost a few practice sessions or I don't know how long it takes for some people, but there's, then it might take months or, or longer, but it just kind of depends on, I think how focused you are with your practice and, and on, on that one thing. And if you, I think that's, that's kind of up to each person, but the intensity at which you apply that, I think is what builds the muscle memory. Yeah. The, well, muscle memory, you know, it's all about, it's all about frequency of repetitions and then the, then the reinforcement of that, you know, that's, that's one thing that I think sometimes I know with on the horsemanship side of it, when I'm teaching a clinic and we're working on a particular exercise, you'll, you'll have somebody work on it a couple of times and they get the, they get the desired result and then they stop working on it and they think, okay, I got that. Well, that's not how it works. Muscle memory is all about frequency of repetitions. And so, you know, for something to become automated by your subconscious, you have to do it consciously long enough that, that your subconscious just takes over. And, you know, that, that's what muscle memory is. And uh, I know it's, that's something that we always talk about on the horsemanship side of it, because just because we do something a few times with our horse doesn't mean they've got it. And, you know, just like in the roping, this kind of leads into the horsemanship side of it a little bit. Talk a little bit about the changes you've seen in the horsemanship side of it as the, as the sport and as the team roping event has progressed. Okay. Um, one sec before we go into that, because I, I, I'd like to know this for you when you talked about applying it. And how long do you think it takes you to apply like something that you find with your horsemanship a cue or something that you want to show a horse how long does it typically take you to to do something before you you're just reactive and your your you know your subconscious can do it do you have a time frame that you think it takes or what does that feel like for you sorry i'm, I'm asking yeah. you questions but I, I want to know for me on that one no the, i mean that's a great question I'll, you know there's been here here's the here's where everybody kind of got off track on creating habits. You know, you hear things out there that it takes 21 days to create a new habit. Well, that doesn't really make any sense because if you do thing once each day for 21 days versus doing something 10 times each day for 21 days, or is it 50 times or, you know, so the days 
that's what we always um, go by, but it always goes back to frequency of repetitions. And so like for me on a young horse or on any horse that I've got in training, for me, if I had two really good months of riding, you know, where, where I had consistent rides five or six times a week for two months, and I was focused, consciously focused on creating that habit, then after that two months, I, I felt pretty good about it. But right. the 21-day, the 30-day deal, I personally don't think that's near long enough. And really, 60 days sometimes is marginal for me. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to understand your number on that or when and just being realistic. And, and I think this goes back to a foundation too, right? Because if you got to have a foundation for everything, um, so you kind of got a baseline to, you know, to go off of. And I think that's really important for ropers to understand too. So like if you want to tweak on your swing or tweak on how you're riding, you still have to have this foundation that you can fall on. Like, so, you know, like, how can I get to my spots and then just focus on this one thing during the run and probably focus on, on that for long enough till you, you feel like you don't uh, have any issues with it, which is like you said, it's as long as it takes, but understanding that is really hard to do because if you have a bunch of holes in your foundation, you might not even be able to address the one thing that you're really wanting to work on. So it's like, I think that's, that's kind of the key with it too, is making sure you can, recreate things and set it up properly to to work on those deals and, I, and that goes to the foundation of of your roping or your riding and, and kind of what where you're at with your roping so that's i think that's a really important thing to understand when, when building muscle memory yeah and and you know on the horsemanship side of it is really it, it it's pretty simple we have to help our horses understand the results we need to let us do our job. And let's face it, when, when like those guys at that top level, when they're being three, four, threes and fours and fives all the time, there's a lot happening pretty fast. So yeah. for, a horse, for a horse to stay consistent and hang together, we got to help them they got to have some help. Yeah. I think it's this really fine line between how much they can do and how much they help. And then how much, um, you can expose yourself and kind of abandon your horsemanship a little bit and still have right. your horse help. Um, I think that's, there are some things roping wise that you just kind of have to, you have to do to be a competitor. Right. And, and sometimes it might mean, putting your horse in some spots where they it's hard on them and it's really hard to duplicate for them. And so having a horse that can understand that and kind of match, match the steer and help. But it's like, to me, it's kind of a, they have to be reading the cow and helping and knowing what you're thinking, but not overthinking or underthinking the situation. Right. They, they have to be able to kind of ride that line between doing enough and, and being able to really help and maybe give you a little bit more or do a little bit less and kind of let you use your rope just a little bit more. And I think that's, 
that's one of the differences between um, kind of that open level and then as things kind of filter down a little bit more to, to the lower numbered ropings, you can rely on your horse just a little bit more and, um, and it does make it a little bit easier on them. So I, I think there's this really fine line. And, and I think this is something that's with rope horse fraternities, it, it, the, they're kind of bridging the gap but it's still, it's still there. You know, when you watch guys that are going real fast rodeo and there are some, there are some times where they, they need their horse to, to do something that, you know, you wouldn't want to do normally, or they might have to do something that they wouldn't want to do normally as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, at that, at that highest level to me, you know, from the outside looking in those horses, Number one, they have to be comfortable with that speed of the game. So that goes back to preparation. I mean, there's got to be some consistency there. You can't be one way all the time at home in the practice pen and then expect, expect them to be another way when you get to the rodeo. So there's got to be some level of consistency and understanding there because, you know, there's you see a lot of those horses that are really, really comfortable at that speed, you know, and you can see the ones that aren't, you can see the ones that are kind of a duck out of water when they get to that speed. So, and then like you were talking about pace going down to the lower number ropings, it's really the, it's really the same concept, just at a different speed, the horsepower really like at the lower number ropings, I think the horsepower and the horsemanship really starts to separate some of those ropers. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I mean, if you just want to go by like what it takes to win and making it easy to, to the easiest like possible route to it, like a winning situation is to, to get to the steer as fast as possible and to have it feel like you're on the ground roping the dummy. So head horses that score, that run to the spot, and then same thing for your healer because being able to, to be a good partner and, and have a good team, if you can set steers up, open steers and have control of the steer's head, it, it just makes it to where that's, that's what a healer needs to do as well. You know, it's, I, I feel like our percentages go way up if we're on the ground. And, and so if like, just like to simplify everything, the, the closer you can get it to where you can like create a shot and it feels real easy to, to release your rope and, and rope the horns or same, same healing. If you can get to a good spot and be able to, to deliver your rope with separation, um, there's some timing that comes into healing that is a little bit more, it's a little tougher to figure out, but heel horses with natural timing with the steer really help that as well. So I think that's, that's kind of the keys to me to being able to, to, to win it at every level. Like it doesn't like, that's probably the one thing that is pretty universal is just getting to a sweet spot for you. And that's where understanding your horse, understanding your level and, and what kind of runs you want to be making is, is kind of the, that foundation that we talked about earlier. So that for me, that's kind of what I, I look for in the horsemanship. And so obviously, you know, to kind of summarize that up real fast, a head horse that scores real good, that runs fast, that rates the cow, that opens them up to heel and then finishes the run is going to have a big advantage over something that might not score as sharp or be able to run or be a little bit lost 
you know, if the cow moves in, in different spots. So I think that's, that's kind of been the big thing that we've seen with, with horsemanship over the last, probably, I mean, I mean, over the last eight to 10 years, I think it's really gotten good. There seems to be a lot of really good head horses out there and heel horses. Yeah, I, I think, well, just like with the availability of information that you provide with X-Factor team roping, you know, all the knowledge that's out there. One of, one of the big things that I see different than it used to be is at the various levels, the different numbered ropings, you'll see guys and, and on both ends that are so much better about position, but really on the head and side, I mean, you'll see, you'll see some guys on the head side handle steers just like, you know, open them up just like a Caleb Gregors would. Well, that, that's huge for a lower numbered healer to make it that much easier. I think, I think a lot of those steers are, you got a lot of guys out there that heal good, even, even as the numbers go down. But a lot of times I think they're getting better looks and they're getting better looks because the head horses are better. There's, there's a, there's been a, to me, there's, of course, I've got to see several decades of change. And I, th I think there's really been an evolution there. Oh, absolutely. Cause I think the bloodlines, um, it used to be, you know, when you were finding horses, they weren't really bred for team roping or there wasn't necessarily like bloodlines that you, you liked for team roping. And I think that's been something that's really changed over the last probably six, eight, 10 years as well, or even longer. I mean, it's kind of been going that way for quite some time. Like I know for me, for example, I rode the stud horse. I competed on the stud horse to the, my good horse. Now the, the mare, I, she was one of the first horses I ever started to like rope on or learn how to train on. And so I, I've kind of know what these horses should feel like and what they're like in competition. And there's a lot of similarities in, in the Colts, you know, out of those, out of those couple. And so I think with, when we start putting that together, you know, when you get to like bigger horse programs, that's what you see now is horses that are, that their body styles fit the trainers know how to train them they kind of understand like their minds might work a little bit like this and uh and i think that's that's kind of the unique thing that um has really came forth with with the rope inside of it and and i think like there's been a couple things too that have i, I think helped which like denny gentry i i hate this idea that he had the the world series barrier I absolutely despise it, but I have to say, what a great idea. And it has sure helped head horses. Um, and I think the head horse market, because they really don't have to sit there and score like they used to. And I think that was really hard on, on lower numbered ropers. So like you can take a, a pretty green roper at like the number three level. And if you kind of take that scoring element where you have to sit there and just watch the steer out so far and they can focus on other things. I think that really, it makes it easier on your head horse. It makes it easier to learn the sport. And I, and I think overall the, the world series barrier has been really good for the, for the lower numbered stuff and, and head horses. So I, as much as I don't like it, I have to say, I think it's, it's been pretty good. Yeah. It, it, it's made it to where I've had this conversation with several people. You, if you rope a lot, especially if you rodeo rope a little bit and whether it be amateur rodeos, pro rodeos, whatever, and you go to a lot of world series ropings, you, you kind of have to have two horses, you, you know, 
they a lot of horses don't cross over and fit both places because when if you've been to a lot of world series ropings it's 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 like for me where i roped a lot of calves it, it's a calf roping start it's a bang pop start you know and uh so it was always real easy for me that start because that's kind of more on the calf roping side they go you go and uh so yeah it's it's different but i think just like you said for a lot of those guys it pretty much eliminated an element that was really tough to learn. Yeah. I mean, they still have to score, right? Like, I mean, I'm not saying that it's just yeah. the, the ability to see like read a cow and know how to watch like shoulder round in the gate or full front leg and the differences right there and, and get some read on them is <clears throat> like, it's one of the ways open ropers set themselves apart. And so that, that, that element's gone. Like, it's just, you have to have a horse that sits there and probably can't score with the tick of the, the gate, but when you drop your hand has to leave hard and, and it happens real fast. And, and so there's, there's times where that, I think that it, it, it makes it, um, it just changes it up. And it's the element of like, not being able to like sit there and hold and kind of be solid with your horse scoring is is a tough feel to get and uh in a lot like the more you rope the more you understand that aspect of it so i don't know that's, that's something i nice. wish it was i wish honestly i wish the 13s and above had a real barrier just so like younger guys and and i think there's a lot of five five plus headers that are really competitive guys and they would be able to shine through just a little bit more if you had if you had that and it'd be a way that headers could like separate themselves just a little bit more but um it also it it, you know it it also probably creates more teams and kind of equalizes the playing field just a little bit more and so i don't know i think that's it's been a unique thing to see with the horses and like how how they handle it and uh yeah like i i have one head horse for example my sister my mom and my dad they they raised this horse and my sister kind of did a lot of the training and it's the one I placed on at the BFI and I rode out there at the long score rodeos a lot and uh, my sister world series jackpots on him all the time I think she rode him at the finale when he was three years old and uh, and he's probably 12 now and when we ride him at a world series start I kind of we turn his head to the right a little bit and when I ride him at a regular barrier I turn his head to the left or straight probably a tick to the left and uh, he's been able to do both, and it's kind of it's kind of hard to find those find those spots where you can get horses to do to do both. Yeah, absolutely, it is because it is completely different for the horse. I mean, not completely different, but it is different. And so, yeah, those horses have to be kind of special, I think. And yeah, but whatever you know, there are a ton of people just like you know the World Series. Well, all the roping associations, I'm not going to just put it on one, but all of them have been so good for the team roping industry. It's grown, you know, it's grown our numbers. It's, it's, it's evolved the horse industry. It's, it's helped the Western industry. I mean, it's uh, for what guys like yourself are doing for the industry. It, it has just you know, in the last 10 years, it's just been phenomenal. Yeah. in in the ability for 
to to make money training horses that, that were just rope horses or to what you can win roping and get back out of it, it, it was really hard probably 10, 12 years ago. And, uh, and I think that that's changed a lot is there's a lot of rope horse trainers that that's all they do. And, and then as far as like ropers go, there's a, a lot of ways to win big amounts of money. There's a lot of ways to, to kind of get your return on investment back. And that's, that's one of the hardest things to do in any horse discipline, right? Is it's, it's tough to, to hold money together in anything, any way you break it down. And so that the fact that the numbers have grown, the jackpots pay better, the, I mean, the fraternity programs pay better. The finale seems to be a really good rope. And um, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of ways that, that have helped kind of keep everyone together everyone's staying hooked and it, it kind of all works together right so it's I, I think that's that's been a huge thing to to see this industry kind of grow and the money circulate and kind of work work out pretty good top to bottom I'd say yeah you know from of course like I said I've been, I've been around for a while and after training horses for the public for over 40 years you you go through a lot of different phases and just like you're saying like 10 years ago i couldn't have had a horse in training where when they left i i thought you know they could legitimately win a quarter of a million dollars on that horse team roping now today yeah. there are horses that i ride that when they leave i you know if Five years later, they've won half a million dollars. It, it's that's possible. You know, 10 years ago, it would have been crazy to say that. Now, right. you know, and at the highest level is probably the toughest. You know, I mean, you you look at what the 9, 10, 11 ropings pay out there. You know, at, not just at Las Vegas, but a lot of places, you know, there are a lot of guys that are winning a lot of money. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it from the training standpoint with that possibility, the rodeo possibility, the maturity possibilities, it, it's made it so much better for our customers as trainers because the right. opportunities have just increase tenfold i got a question for you on like the, the the market like the horse market do you think um just from your experience do you think this is kind of a a true like market as far as like rope horses go and like what prospects are selling for or do you think it can continue to rise or is it kind of plateaued out or do you think it's a little bit inflated or what does it kind of feel like to you well i think i think the real good horses you know, a really good horse is where they're going to be. I, I don't think that's going to come off much at all, if any. I think a really good prospect is there. I think that horse is still holding its value nice. I think some of the marginal prospects are going to soften, and they right. probably needed to. I mean, you know, there. I'll be honest with you for about the last two years, you know, I, I've always been a person that looked for good horses, good prospects. And I really haven't for the last two years, haven't bought many, which is a good thing because the horse market was strong and, you know, I want people to make money in the horse market. But for me, I would look at a pro some prospects that I looked at 
And with the experience I have in this industry and I've been around a long time, I'd be like, I don't know if I can ride that horse for a year or two and get paid for my riding because the cost on the front end was substantial. You know, and that that's just an opinion. That doesn't mean I was right or wrong, but you know, I hadn't bought much in the last couple of years because of that. I think the good horses, the really good horses are are where they're gonna be. See, really, really good horses have always been underpriced because if you know what it takes, number one, to just have a horse that's special and then what it takes to get them to that point. And then when you get them to that point, they still be sound and sane. That is a special, special horse. Yeah, think about this. And this has probably been the one thing that's changed my roping. Um, And I try to communicate this to people, but it's really hard to, to find. But I think there are horses that are winners. And it just seems like, they make it easy for you not like to not beat yourself and um and they kind of put you in good spots and it, they they really give you feel of like what it takes to win and those horses like the ones that i have been around don't really check all the boxes of like oh this is a really flashy horse and it might be like i had a heel horse well like the the mare that that, that like my bay's out of um she kind of like didn't have a real flashy stop healing, um, but she just kind of got me to the cow and just every cow, like it didn't matter what type of steers we were roping that day. I got to a good spot and gave me like a real good chance to heal them by two feet. And there was just a lot of times where I never felt like I was doing that good in the roping, but I was clean on two, clean on three. And then all of a sudden come back and make a good run and, and win. And same thing with head horses. Like I never felt like I was that good in the roping on, on I had two of them. But uh, most recently was like a flax mane horse and he just like just kept me in the roping and we just kind of stayed grinding it out. And, and it, it taught me a lot about winning. And those horses like that, I think they change, they can change careers. There are guys out there that have gotten on some and they've, you've seen them kind of ride them for four or five years rodeoing and, uh, and it kind of takes them from, they, they were decently competitive open guy to a real good open header or healer and, and I think that's those are the ones that are really unique they're hard to find um, but I think they're overlooked a lot too the horses that are that you can win on and uh, and I think that's that's kind of the the, the toughest spot to find uh, one of those but if you do man I think that they they have a potential to change your whole the whole trajectory of your roping yeah, which, you know, the, those horses like that not only change the trajectory of your roping, they change your life. I mean, those, that's when I, when I say those really, really good horses have always been too cheap, those horses like that, like you're talking about, and you hit the nail on the head when you talked about those horses that are winners, those horses are so hard to find and they're so special and they they not only change your winning percentage they change your life in a lot of different ways and uh those horses have always been undervalued always been undervalued because it's it's so hard to get them 
it's so hard to get them. I'll, I'll tell you one example of the last year, Joe Beaver made the finals in the Kaffir Open. He rode a horse that we raised and I trained. And, and when he was, that horse was five, I was riding him at the circuit rodeos in the Kaffir Roping and the teen rope. And I'd rope calves and head on him. And that horse never did anything flashy, but he never did anything to hurt you. And everybody that rode him won on him. And a number of the top guys ended up roping on him and they all had success on him. Joe rode him all 10 rounds at the finals. And, and that horse, when he ran, he swung his right leg kind of in a circle when he ran, kind of, kind of like a wing. Yeah. And it kept a lot of people from buying him because of that. I mean, the horse, to my knowledge, was never lame a day in his life. I'm sure there was a time or two in there, but I mean, he was just a warrior, just a, just a winner, like you're talking about. Well, those horses, the value on those horses, it, it's always, it's always been undervalued. I agree. And I think to, to kind of go back to this is the, the horse market, um, I think this is something that's kind of unique that we're running into is the, the horses that are priced at like the finished ones, Larry, Larry D guy told me this and I've, I think it's held up pretty true. He said 20, those good finished head horses that are about 25,000 and, and under are, are really easy to sell. You know, the good, just $25,000 head horse that work good. You know, a lot, there's a lot of people that can afford that horse. Right. Then the hardest horses to sell were the ones from like 25 to or kind of that 30 to 40,000 mark. And, um, and they're, cause they're more than likely a little bit green. They show a lot of really potential, like good potential. And then they, the next kind of easier ones were the, the great ones. You just kind of picked your price and people were going to buy them because they, you know, they're, they're a great horse. And I think that's, that's kind of got to be the spot, right? Like what you're saying on the good prospects, because if you are paying 15,000 or so for a good prospect and, and a lot, I mean, I would say that's kind of been bottom dollar on prospects for, for nice ones. And then a couple of years of riding, you know, you're pretty soon you're in this horse, 25, 30,000. And I think that's the, that's kind of a tough out if you're doing it a lot. Right. Is, is that kind of what it feels like to you? Is it, like the, when you start out with them, yeah. they need to be a little bit less than that. Or I don't, I don't know. What's, what's, what's the number. If you could put a couple of years riding on them that you think, Hey, I can, I can still make this into a good horse. And then we're not going to just be breaking even at that 25,000 marker. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I, yeah, this it, seems to be my experience. Well, if you, you know, and I always say this, it takes years to make a good horse, not months. Anybody that thinks it's, a few months makes a good horse that that that's not realistic or it's not it's not with my ability anyway but uh you know for me realistically if i'm gonna have a couple years into a horse a couple years training you know if, if you can't on top of your initial purchase if i can't increase that horse 30 to forty thousand, it's tough it's tough if, if I'm actually putting the time in and the, and, you know, because, you know, it, if a horse just stands around at your place, it's going to cost three grand a year, you know, yep. I mean, figure up your feed bill, minimal maintenance, shoeing, 
trimming, dentistry, vaccinations, you know, it's, so if you just figure up whatever that minimum number is, well, I mean, you take that and then you take whatever your time's worth. I mean, you, you know, time is the most precious commodity we have. So your time's got to be worth something. And I know what my time's worth because I've been doing this forever, you know? So yeah, it, it, it makes it, it makes it tough. It's got to be a good horse. I mean, it's got to be a, anymore before, before I'm going to put that kind of time in one, I'm going to start with something that I think is really potentially great. Yeah, I think 100%. I got to agree with that. And I think, and that's also like where you get to, if, if you're starting with a horse that checks all the boxes, you do a good job with the foundation, then that's when you get to start picking your price when you sell them. And and that's a hard number. Those are the hard numbers. You know, you say they're underpriced on those, that high end of them, because it's, it's so hard. Like there's not a lot of guys that are producing them like that. They just, they don't come around very often. And so it's like, it's really tough to, to even know what that, what they're worth or, you know, what's comparable to that horse. Yeah, it really is. And, and just like you were talking about, I mean, finding that one that, uh, lets you do what what you need to do you know and and those horses they can be developed there's no doubt but but there is an it factor with horses some horses just have it whatever you want to call that some horses just have it because well just use the example of the cowboy channel and so you get to see all those rodeos now. And of course, I'm a little different because I'm always looking at horses, not the riders. And I, I just notice, yep, that horse is in the short round again. Yep, that horse is in the short round again. Yep. And, and you just see it over and over and over again. Every big rodeo that has a short round or every big rodeo that doesn't, you see those same horses that have success. So, you know, the, the it factor is a hard thing to put your finger on, but, uh, you know, hopefully everybody gets that opportunity to have one of those someday, right? Yeah, and the truth is a very few percentage of people will. So that's, I think that's the other thing to understand is if you get one and you think he's special, you probably take care of that one and, and make sure you really, you really understand it. Cause I, I think when we're talking about this horse, we're talking about 1%, you know, we're talking 1% of the finished horses that are out there competing is one of those, at least for me. So, I mean, it yeah. takes tens of thousands of horses that go into the industry that, you know, that specific discipline, whether it's heading, healing, run of barrels uh, to even get to the, the 1%. And uh, so if you get one of those, learn, I mean, it's time to, to learn as much as you can, like what makes them great? What did you do to maybe help this? Uh, you know, what, what are some things? Cause you can apply that on other horses. I think there's oh, a absolutely. lot of little, a lot of little things that your horse can teach you. And they also will teach you, you know, what, what you can kind of do in situations. And uh, yeah, cause I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I don't think many people get to ride a, a great one. Um, like a truly, 
a, a great horse that's a winner. And so um, that's something to be looking for and understanding when you get one, definitely don't take that for granted. When you even, you see it in the lower number ropings too, because really and truly, when you're roping in a lower numbered roping, if I'm looking at a partner, somebody to potentially rope with, the first thing I look at is their horse. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not roping in the the ten roping with somebody riding a colt. I mean, that that ain't happening, <laughs> you know, because that, you know, I'm anybody in those lower numbered ropings that aren't looking at the horses that their partners are riding they're missing the boat because that in that situation that horse has to be you know special special for that situation you know where a head horse will you know after running 12 steers through the day let you be good in the short round you know and that those horses, even though a lot of people don't hear about them, those are special horses. That, that's a tough, you know, that's a tough fit too. So, yeah, it, it goes down through all levels. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, I tell you what, Pace, I'm going to, I was going to, I'm going to have you on again to talk about X Factor Barrel Racing where we've about used up our time. So I better let you get off here and and get to your daily activities, but I just uh, tell everybody about your app, how they can get on, how they can subscribe. It's a great app. It's a great app, tons of knowledge, very current. I mean, you've done a great job and you've provided a great service to the industry. So tell everybody how they can get on your app and use it. Yeah, so um, in the app store, it's X Factor Team Roping, or for you barrel racers, X Factor Barrel Racing. Uh, also, you can just go to the website, xfactorroping.com and sign up, or xfactorbarrelracing.com and sign up. And what you get with the membership is for both websites, we, we do quite a few like live streams, video events, and then put it back on there, show a lot of the runs back in slow motion, especially the good runs. Um, we uh, we've now started to like with the team roping side of it. We we've been videoing some match ropings that we're producing, so you can watch sort of top guys in the world match against each other. You can also you know watch that on TV with like a smart TV app. So it's starting to kind of feel more like a sporting event, and that that's been pretty fun. But uh, the big thing and kind of the foundation of all this is the instructional videos. So we've tried to take what we'd consider the top of the industry, but also people that are kind of coming up through the ranks as well and combine like what they're working on and try to keep things really relevant to what people actually like the instructors or, or the person that we're doing a video shoot with what they're actually working on and what applies to them. And so we're, we try to get you really solid information on every aspect that we can from the horsemanship to the competing and roping. And um, so we have all those training videos there on the website or app. And then the last portion of this that I think is something I, I actually don't think we do a great job of <laughs> promoting, but um, like, for example, the barrel racing side of it, we have a, a private group where you can submit your videos and Tammy Fisher and Lisa Lockhart are our coaches. So you get personal feedback from them. You can ask them any question you want, send them runs, get their thoughts. And uh, that's just part of being a member of the barrel racing website. 
And then the same thing with the team rope inside of it. We have uh, Buddy Hawkins and Jade Corkle are our healing coaches and Tyler Wade and Colton Smith are our heading coaches. So kind of get a, you can get a unique perspective. And what's really cool is, you know, the, the, these guys are competing They're out there living it. They're, they're, they're people that are understand it. I would say from the competition and horsemanship side of it, uh, they, they've got a really good grasp because they're, they're really in involved in it. So that's, that's been something that I think is pretty dang cool for, you know, one membership gets you all that. I tell you what, you know, the one word that comes to mind when I think about everything you're producing is current. I mean, you just do a great job of staying current and evolving. You know, it's, it's evolving, it's evolved the sport, it's evolved those disciplines. And, you know, it's just, it's been a great tool for people out there that use it so anybody out there that's looking to gain knowledge be able to get some coaching and some teaching the x-factor barrel racing x-factor team roping i'm gonna have pace back on and we're gonna talk specifically about x-factor barrel racing here in the future so pace i just want to i want to thank you for your time i really appreciate you i really i always enjoy visiting with you you're just kind of a you're a wealth of knowledge and you've got a great insight into the sport. So thanks for what you're doing. Phil, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Hey, everybody. We're going to wrap it up for today. Have a great week of training. Thanks for being on this week. Have a blessed week. And as always, today and every day, be your best. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's show. To learn more about the training program that inspired the Be Your Best podcast, head over to philhagenhorsemanship.com and join our online community by following us at philhagenhorsemanship on Facebook or Instagram. This is where we're going to be sharing tons of training tips and information about how you can experience our Training Through Understanding program at one of our upcoming clinics. As you go through the day today, I want to encourage you to figure out one thing you can do to get 1% better, whether that is in your horsemanship journey, your career, or your personal life. Own it and be your best. God bless and have a great day of training.